Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. You used to need to tell the share sheet to open Textastic. And we really just wanted to we wanted to cut away some of this, uh, this extra work. We made it possible to, in the terminal, on your remote computer, to type Textastic and the file name, and then have it open up in Textastic locally. But of course, any changes made are written back to the real file on the remote server. Hello there, and welcome to iPad Pros. I'm joined today by Anders Borm, the developer of Working Copy and Secure Shellfish, and we're going to dive into all the big updates he's been pushing out over the past year, including a recent one that has this really tight integration with Textastic. These apps are super powerful for developers, as you probably already know, and there's a lot of nice little details that we're able to dive into in this episode. As a reminder, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that a couple different ways. First off, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and simply leave a review. A review is really helpful in making this show more visible in search and helping others discover the podcast. You can also support the podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Even something as little as a dollar a month really does go a long way in supporting the production of this show. So thank you to those that currently support the show this way and to those that have in the past. Every dollar is very much appreciated. With that, here's my interview with Anders, all about working copy and secure shellfish. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Anders. Thank you, Tim. I'm very happy to be back. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff going on uh, for your apps this past year, and I want to kind of dive into those. And something that's happened since you were last on, you were on the podcast about a year ago on episode 71. Uh, so last January, and uh, the iPad now has trackpad support and this wonderful magic keyboard. I'm wondering, has that you know combination changed how you use the iPad at all? Has the addition that trackpad changed things for you? Yeah, so uh, this has surprised me. I had expected, you look at it superficially, and the iPad Pro with sort of a, this very nice keyboard and trackpad and cursor support, looks like a Mac and I had expected the way I used it to change completely. Yeah. And it really hasn't it's I'm I'm happy about it. It's I'm faster at editing. I'm faster at a lot of sort of detail work. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't changed the kinds of things I do. It, it so uh, I thought it would sort of change everything and it didn't at all. So it's just it turned out to be sort of a small improvement but not a game changer. Because the software is still the operating system of iPad OS and you have iPad yeah. OS apps. It's it's not a Mac, but you're able to do things better ergonomics, I'd say, right? And then yeah. if you're accessing a Mac server or a Mac uh, remote desktop, that is light years better now with the Magic yeah, Keyboard, sure. right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then again, yeah, it's just a, kind of a, a screen at that point with a good piece of hardware to, to drive it. So have your apps updated to take advantage of this what kind of improvements have you seen with your own apps uh with this support being uh being able to be added yeah so so both my apps are sort of text heavy you do a bit of text that you do a quite a bit of text editing in in working copy and the terminal in secure shellfish is sort of all text it's just this power with combining the external keyboard with a pointer support that just makes it faster, makes yeah. it nicer. Every time you sort of needed to change your selection or and had to reach up for the touch screen, that slowed me down. Nothing I had to do, but just a huge improvement from having cursor support. I've been working on the, the details, making uh, this hover state for the different buttons, make, making them behave 
in the way we expect on iPad. Yeah, that kind of the magnetic approach that we got from Apple TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those that want a really deep dive in the working copy, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 71. That's what we dove deep into, kind of all aspects of it. But for those that haven't heard that episode, can you kind of give a brief kind of overview of what the app is? Working copy is a Git client for iOS, and Git is uh, a tool you use for managing especially software development projects lots of directories lots of files probably lots of people working on the same files at the same time and git allows us to to say why we make changes so we sort of track who made what changes who did what on monday and uh, why did we do it um so it's super useful for a project running it can be hard to remember what happened last week last month and especially when you are a lot of people working then you really need some way to keep track of that. And Git is just the most popular system for that. It's the dominant version control system. And Working Copy puts that on your iPad and on your iPhone. Later on, we're going to dive into the big update with Textastic integration. But first, I want to dive into some of the updates that have been kind of pushed out throughout the year since we last spoke. And one of the big improvements is the ability to run these very complex SSH commands from a server on files in your repository. Yeah. What are some of these new, more complex commands that you can run? Because you'd run commands before, they just would fail sometimes if they were too too complex. Is that right? Yeah, it was more, you needed to sit there in working copy while they ran. So, so a problem doing software development on iPad is that you miss some of the tools you have on your Linux server or your Mac or your Windows machine. And often you connect to these machines and you run these commands through the sort of the terminal or something like that. Uh, but of course, if you run commands on a remote computer, it has the, the remote file system. So you, you end up copying up your changes, running the command, maybe copying stuff back. And this is what this SSH command feature tried to, to make easier to just upload before, run the command, a pullback changes. Uh, and it worked fine for something like maybe Maybe I have a static block, something like that. And it, I need to convert the markdown into HTML. So I run a command for that and it runs for, I don't know, half a minute and it's done. But mm, sometimes I wanted to maybe keep running, keep looking for changes and rebuild the block as I change. And then you needed to keep working copy sort of on screen. And that was a limitation. Uh, maybe I'm, I want to test the block in Safari or... I want to make the edits in Textastic, something like that. So it's an apps are just not allowed to keep running when they're not on screen. And that's sort of I kind of have better considerations. And so working copy would stop running and, and files would stop updating, really. So it's a small change and it's sort of sort of a hack, but all the apps that need to keep running in the background and working copy as well, they sort of they ask for location. They ask for the user's location, and then they can keep running in the background. Um, so, so, so that's really the trick. Then, yeah, working copy keep running, and it can have sort of port forwarding, so you can reach your test server on the remote server through Safari. And it's somewhat complicated, and but it works, and it it replaces a lot of manual steps with just as much complication. Yeah, that's a really great workaround for that. And hopefully iPadOS 15 adds APIs that enable more full-featured backgrounding for apps that need it like this. Yeah, if you give the user permission, ask them, hey, do you want to be able to do this that should let you in the future? Yeah, and it, it does seem like Apple 
accepts this uh, strange workaround. You just have to word it in a certain way. But I think some years back, there was a fear of being rejected for doing this because it isn't, it isn't about location at all. But as, as long as you make it clear to the user and as long as this location is used somehow, then it's acceptable. Right. So one of the integrations you have in Working Copy and Secure Shellfish is accessing servers at DigitalOcean, uh, where you could run, I guess, these commands as well. Like, what what about DigitalOcean makes it a good choice for developers, and why do you go to the lengths to integrate it in such a tight way that you have? Mm, yeah. So this SSH command, it, it's of course you need a server or you need a remote computer of some sorts. And, Many people, they if you have just if you have a server that you can reach over the internet and you need to patch it with security updates, you need to make sure the password is long enough, and it's a, it's a responsibility of some sort. So it becomes attractive to only have a server when you're using it. So you spin up a server, do your do your work, and really close the server again. And and DigitalOcean just makes this they make it easy for the user and they also make it easy for me. So I think uh, you could do the same with Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure, but their whole sort of, their model for each server is a lot more complicated than it is for DigitalOcean. So it was hard for me to, I couldn't make a sort of easy, quick way to spin up servers. And with DigitalOcean, you pay per time you actually use it. So if you go a month without touching your server, doesn't cost you a bunch of money. Yeah, so so it's it's uh, it's sort of if you have a server, it actually you pay for it as long as it exists. But what you can do and what you should do is to create the server when you need it, mm-hmm. delete it when you're done, and and this makes sense in the context of this SSH command. It it uploads the files that are missing, so it doesn't really. So that just means the first time you run it on this new server. That's going to take a little bit longer. And when you shut it down again, everything on the server is lost, but it doesn't matter. It's lost. It's uh, it's just copies from your iPad. And then when you start up a fresh server, there's a quick and easy way to send all those commands at once. So you're not doing a lot of manual work to get back up and running. It just, you send the commands, it'll do it in kind of the background. And once it's ready, you can start working again. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then you just, yeah. And then you can just sort of terminate the server two hours later when you're done and and it's sort of uh, and the clock uh, stops and that is um, very price efficient so when ios and ipad os 14 rolled out they've got these new widgets especially with shortcuts that are pretty powerful that you can actually run shortcuts from the home screen it doesn't make you you know open an app to to do things uh-huh. and you enable support to start uh, an inter- or stop an internal web dev server. So first off, what are these web dev servers used for? So they're sort of a storage protocol built on top of web servers. So they allow so reading and changing files sort of through a web server if you have the, the, the password. Really, it started out years ago as a way some of our users really wanted to use uh, the Penny Code Editor called Coda at the time to edit inside the repositories. And it's a great tool, but it, it couldn't open and change files inside the files app. So it sort of couldn't access stuff inside Working Copy, but it could uh, edit on a web server. So so that was very much uh, to support Coda that I added this. Um, once you start the server, I don't want to keep it running when if people forget and they have this, so it, it's sort of a, it would be a security issue to just keep it 
running forever. So right. I shut it down. Do- shut it down. I think it's fifteen minutes of inactivity. It just sort of it it shuts down. You could also with this new action theoretically tie it to when you open Coda to start the server and when you leave it to stop it. Right? Yeah. Personally, I'm doing half of that. So so I am starting the server when I have an automation for that. When I start Code Editor, it uh, starts the web browser and I could have done the other thing. I have just haven't thought about it. It just shuts down after 15 minutes. So this is just to set up the shortcuts, just a single action shortcut to just add it from the working copy to start or stop this web dev server. And it's just pretty straightforward with setting this up. Yeah. So it, it was, um, I've had automation through X callback URL for, for years. And I think it was pretty clear when I was 13 launched and, and they had these custom actions, uh, that was sort of a writing on the wall that we should perhaps not do X callback URL anymore. I tried to move everything, all my, all the automation enabled by X callback URL. I tried to move that to, to, uh, custom shortcut actions and and this turning and turning the web sugar on and off that was just sort of the last thing i was able to do because i couldn't start the web server i could keep it running uh, on ios 13 from within the shortcuts context it needed to run inside my app but then the app needed to launch and well then but, but that changed with ios 14 so another update that got pushed out pretty recently uh, was this external monitor support through HDMI or AirPlay. What does this look like when you hook up to a, a secondary monitor on the iPad? Yeah, so so it, it's about uh, previewing documents, so HTML and Markdown especially. So you edit so the source text, and it can look quite differently when you render it, and it shows the images, and maybe the headlines are bigger, and... So I, you want to you want to edit the the source text, and then it makes sense to show the rendering on the external monitor as well. Uh, so that's really when you connect it, just get this, this little this little button to show to sort of show the preview on the external monitor. You get quick feedback, and um, you could do the same with sort of multi window uh, on the iPad, but then it becomes a bit cramped. So. And it just fills the entire screen. Do you get pick different size classes to view your preview in? I don't have much control over exactly how it ends up on the preview. I, I get sort of the resolution that that the iPadOS thinks is suitable for that yeah. display. Okay. Uh, but but I can then like that. I don't need to use the same font. I don't need to. I, I use the same font family. I don't use the same font. A size that I would on the internal display. No, that's a great update, and it updates more or less live as you're typing. It changes; it'll push it out. So I have a step where I convert. It would I would have loved to make it more live or proper live, but uh, there's a step where you you edit, and I convert it into a sub so a browser context really, and that is shown. So there's a short delay, but um, I think it's it's useful still. It would be lovely to have sort of keystroke going out live but yeah i'm not there yet and then the last thing on working copy for now is enhanced multi-window support where you're able to drag compared ahead to a new window on the ipad yeah so what, what is this feature all about and how do you enable it the reason to use git is that we want the uh, we want to be able to compare to previous versions go back in time 
And this might be for a, so a single file. How did it change over time? Or it could be for the entire project. So I might want to compare what happened, so what happened from right now to one week ago or before we started the project that failed or something like that. So, so that's what this compare to hit does. It looks at all the files that changed within this uh, time period and then shows how they changed. And that's really just, it's sort of a, a sheet shown on the, um, on the iPad, like the same kind of UI as when you start a new email, for instance. So it doesn't take up the entire screen. It just it sits there in the middle, mm-hmm. just like the mail app, where you can sort of, you can drag it out this out into a window, and then full size it if you want. So I, I just want I try to do the same. And then you can slide it out either split view or it could be a slide over instance as well. Yeah, exactly. So anything else on working copy before we move on to secure shellfish? Yeah. So, so uh, one thing that has. Uh, over the last few months, I've spent a lot of time adapting the app for Mac Catalysts to allow it to run on, on uh, Mac OS. And this has been, I'd say, a, a huge surprise in that so it, it, it's not like I don't have it ready for launch yet. And But running the same app on the iPad and the Mac, uh, both of them, external keyboard, trackpad, same size display, superficially, they are very much alike. But And the surprise is that what I want from working copy on the Mac is just entirely different from what I want from Working Copy on the iPad. Yeah, so the Mac, you're interacting with different apps, like Working Copy gets to play with other apps than it does an iPad. Yeah. And the OS itself uh, behaves differently, yeah. Yeah, and, and the focus of Working Copy, or what I wanted to focus on at least, is entirely different. So, um, so that's... Uh, it, it has been a surprise, I would say. So doing this, does it make you want to spend a lot of time creating a very unique Mac version that tackles different challenges than, say, iPad and iPhone do? Mm, I would say that uh, it becomes more important to me to to really have great keyboard and mouse support. That's I don't think the apps will be totally different, but uh, the way you reach different parts of the apps will be different. Yeah. So they'll have the same components, but a very different focus and very different navigation. Gotcha. And the tools for Catalyst, is it pretty easy now to, I shouldn't say easy, but is it a lot more straightforward than it used to be to port iPad apps to the Mac? Yeah, I, I think it's much better. I, I tried uh, last summer and I just gave up. There was too much that didn't work or worked poorly. It wasn't documented. Uh, and I was a bit uh, disappointed as well over the summer, so during the beta, beta period. But then when it launched, it was just, I don't know exactly when it happened, yeah. but it had just become a lot more solid. And it and that made, yeah. And this is a technology that is iPad to Mac. There's no easy technology yet to go Mac to iPad. Is that right? Or, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that's that's correct. It, it's 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 one way only. Yeah. Um, but it, there was just a lot missing or not working previously, and and now I uh, there's still some things not working or missing. Especially sort of there's no equivalent to of course you have the Finder, which is like the Files app, but it doesn't support these file providers at all. Uh, so that's something that's missing that would have been great for me. But yeah, almost everything else is working and working well. Does the internal web dev server work on the Mac? Yes, it does. It does. Oh, very cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what Apple chooses to uh, have on the Mac as far as those cross-app APIs, like the files app as a communication layer between apps that just isn't there yet. So uh, Secure Shellfish, uh, can you kind of provide a brief overview of what this app does? Yeah, so it tries to make a remote computer sort of to make it easy to access from iOS. And it, it started out being all about files. So you would have the directories from your server or your Mac or your uh, Synology in the files app. In a location in files app, you could browse it and it wasn't really, it wasn't on your iPad, but the moment you opened a file, it would download and then it was there. You could make, you can make changes and changes are uploaded. So, so working a lot like maybe iCloud Drive or a Dropbox, but just for your own computers. Gotcha. And that's changed a bit since launch. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I know like one of the features you had last year was this multi-window support to have different terminal sessions open. Mm. And uh, were users wanting these terminal sessions uh, co- kind of paired with different apps or were they wanting to use two terminals side by side running different commands uh, back and forth. Yeah, so, so the terminal feature is, it's pretty new still. So I launched this sometime this summer and because the app started being all about files, then I, I know what files are available on the remote computer and I could do sort of, I could do some cool stuff with if you select a file name or if you drag a file name, then it's not, just the text of the file, it's the actual file. Uh, so you could drag a file from the terminal into an email or an attachment or into the files app. Then you could go the other way around and maybe grab a file from, from a files app or some, some other source and drop it on the terminal and it would upload to the current directory. And then I, I really couldn't resist to, I wanted to be able to have two terminals side by side, different servers, and then be able to Sort of, <laughs> sort of <laughs> drag and drop from one to so that just seemed so natural and right. Yeah. So uh, you could say it was a, a personal request from myself. I couldn't resist doing that. Uh, but the terminal feature is was so new that I don't think users really had a chance to request this uh, because it was on it was on the drawing board from right from the beginning. Yeah, that sounds really. Imp- really cool and really powerful as well. It's been a while since I've used Terminal on the Mac. If you drag a file from the Finder into the Terminal, it'll give you that entire pathway. Is that right? Yeah, it, it'll, it'll copy the path, which is useful as well, but um, yeah. And then this behaves differently where it's at the actual file and you're actually able to, to work with those. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that's fascinating that you're able to to do this, and it it's still a text based. You're running command lines and doing this, but gives you a little bit more power with uh, being able to directly integrate with files versus needing to figure out some certain path name to access the file. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, another addition you've had this year, since you know this whole terminal thing is new, uh, the theming is now a big thing, and users are able to add their own themes. And, you know, you added one for Halloween, like to Dracula. Um, <laughs> how do these themes all work? So all this terminal, um, these terminal emulation, it's sort of really old technology. So it goes back, 
I'm not sure it was the 90s or even earlier that uh, that all this got sort of developed. Um, but a terminal has this palette of 16 colors that they use for almost everything. This makes it pretty easy to sort of customize the terminal by supplying your own 16 colors and your own foreground and background color. Uh, so that's really most uh, most terminal apps allow this in, in, in some way. And the themes, are they linked to just light and dark mode or can you have a server always be a certain theme to be able to quickly identify, oh, I'm connected to this server because it's showing me this theme? Yeah, so when you ask, I'm sort of, that's a great idea and I wish it could, but right now the themes are, there's one for light mode and one for dark mode and it'll switch between them, but uh, it is it would be super useful to sort of quickly identify the server by the colors and I need to find out some way to configure this because, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a cool, like almost like a setting screen per a different uh, server that's like one of your favorites. Yeah. And users can share these and is it like a share sheet enabled to like send off your configuration or how, how does sharing work? Yeah, so so you can share them either, it's, it supports a few different formats. So you can share them as uh, the format that Blink expects another terminal app for iOS. I think it supports iTerm2, which is sort of a Mac terminal app. And then it has a format of its own where it's really, um, it's an image showing the different colors. And then I, uh, if, if people, imp- another, pe- another user will import a theme, then I can, I grab the actual information from sort of meta text on the image. But uh, so the theme is really a PNG image. So you, you see it and you know if you, hopefully you know if you like it and if it suits you. Um, but the actual information is sort of hidden inside uh, some meta text of the, of the image. Gotcha. One of the cooler features I saw come out this past year with support for YubiKeys, this kind of physical two-factor authentication uh, key that comes in different variants for Lightning, USB-C, or on iPhone, um, NFC is an option as well. Was this integration something hard to integrate with, or was this pretty straightforward? It was uh, a little hard, I would say. So I started out doing... So so what these YubiKeys uh, can do for Secure Shellfish is they can generate a one-time password. And I started adding support for the sort of regular one-time password. And it's it's often Google Authenticator. You have this, you scan a QR code and it can generate these digits and they change every 13 seconds. I'm not sure how often, but... Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and this can really improve the security of your servers. So, uh, but that was a little hard to, to, to implement. But when but the YubiKey and, and their sort of software development kit, they made it very easy to sort of just make them provide this code instead of uh, instead of the user pasting it or something like that. So, so that was, uh, I see, uh, it was low-hanging fruit, really. And is your app one of the few iOS apps that work with these, or is this pretty widespread at this point? I, I think 1Password supports it, but I'm not sure what else does. There's not a lot of apps right now. and I think Safari supports it, but then the individual website has to sort of, has to do something to be YubiKey enabled. But if it is, then it works. But there's not a lot of third-party apps. And I think these YubiKeys, they do a lot. And they can you can have sort of SSH keys on them and uh, notes and all sorts of stuff. But most of it is pretty... So the SDK, this one-time password, that was easy. But most other things are still 
somewhat hard to implement. So, yeah, I, I think the SDK needs to be a bit better. I would like to use it for working copy, but the stuff I want to do, it's just still too hard. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully they update that in the future to, to make more developers get on board and make it simpler to do so. Yeah. So anything else on Secure Shellfish before we move on to the Textastic integrations? Mm, that, that's one new new thing um, I added, uh, support for Tmux. It's, that's for terminal multiplexer. So normally you connect to your remote computer and your connection and your terminal are sort of, they are one thing. So if you disconnect, the terminal closes. Or if the terminal closes... You disconnect, um, and if you lose, if you lose your network connectivity, the terminal closes. If the app shuts down, so that sort of this becomes problematic not just in secure shellfish, but really in any kind of uh, terminal context. It, sometimes you want the terminal to stay alive even as you disconnect. And Tmux is just is, is the most popular solution for this. What secure shellfish can do now is. It can uh, automatically attach to the latest session, and it can sort of it can switch between, can show session thumbnails, and then you sort of see small images of each of the terminals managed by by Tmux on the on the remote uh, computer, and can add new ones, terminate them. So that's uh, a, a recent development, and it fits well with iOS because. As you as the app moves to the background, at some point it will stop running, or uh, maybe the the Wi-Fi at least will sort of power down to save battery. Yeah, you lose connection, and with something like Tmux, it doesn't matter. And when the app launches again, it can it knows you had this session running, so it can reconnect and it can reattach to the same session, and it sort of it just becomes very natural. And when yeah. you also be, and, and and it's not even just about the network. So I might be using my iPad connected to a terminal, having running a session, and I need to get out, uh, grab my phone. I can hand off a session, and it detaches from my iPad, connects and attaches on my iPhone. And is that using the handoff feature of the OS or this custom feature you've implemented? That's all software. Uh, it uses handoff. Okay, nice. Um, so so that's sort of the the most recent. Uh, feature for Secure Shellfish that, that I think sort of, uh, I would say, are typical of this app that sort of merges this sort of old-school technology, <laughs> these, uh, this uh, Secure Shell, uh, with the latest that, that iOS has to offer. So a couple months ago, I guess, uh, this got rolled out, or even more recently in December, uh, this integration with Textastic, which is an app written by Alexander Bl- uh, Blatch, uh, was this something you worked with him on, or was this an existing public API for that app to do this tight integration? A little bit of both. So we've been we cooperate loosely on our apps, and Textastic has been sort of a useful companion app to Working Copy for as long as Working Copy. So for six years, as long as it has existed, existed, um, Textastic can. It's just a really powerful editor. It's uh, it's the only one I know of that can sort of open really large files, sort of multi-megabyte files. It can just do that. It has syntax highlighting for everything, and it supports sort of if, if it doesn't have syntax highlighting, then it can import uh, support for other languages as well. So it's it's it is the most powerful programmer's editor I know of on on iOS, um, and it can edit files inside the files app, and it can also edit directories. So you can sort of 
you can give it access to a directory, and then it can you can just sort of browse through, open files, create new files, and they end up in this original directory. So that's just this combination of it being a very nice editor and that it works so well with other apps. That's uh, That makes it very useful in combination, not just with working copy, but secure shellfish as well. So if I take a file in in uh, in the file set, and that might be inside the secure shellfish location, and I ask the share sheet to open Textastic, any changes I make, they end up on the server, which is sort of, it would be, so, so that is super useful, but you need to, or you used to need to, tell the share sheet to open Textastic. And we really just wanted to, we wanted to, cut away some of this uh, this extra work. We made it possible to, in the terminal, on your remote computer, to type Textastic and the file name, and then have it open up in Textastic locally. But of course, any changes made are written back to the real file on the remote server. It took some months to come up with the best <laughs> solution, and, but I'm pretty happy about it. It's, it's, it's something that just feels super natural when you use it. And again, it's sort of this this uh, strange combination of using the terminal, using the command line to do stuff on iOS that just uh, that is maybe a little weird, but also uh, very useful. So it, it's the more powerful editor. So it, it has uh, support for snippets and search and replace, and it's just an all-round, very well-made, very powerful editor. Um, and it, it has support for making terminal connections as well. Uh, I must admit that I haven't used it much. I'm using my own for that part. But um, but in any case, that is sort of... Textastic is just a super useful app uh, that it, it fits on almost any iPad if you do sort of any kind of technical editing. Nice. And working copy integrates as well. How does that integration work? Working copy just has sort of the context menu for each file has a way to quickly open in Textastic if it notices that Textastic is installed. And is the starting point within this integration always your apps or is there a a way to create a file in Textastic and send it over to your apps in just as a tightly uh, integrated way? Sort of. So it can, uh, Textastic can send files to working copy through the share sheet um, or it can create files inside the directory structure of working copy if the user has at some point granted access then they share the directory they're working in okay gotcha yeah this sounds like this just cleans up the workflows a lot for developers that want to be editing in textastic but working with the, the servers you're connected to in shellfish and and the repositories from from your repositories yeah i i I hope so. In in a sense, uh, what Secure Shellfish does is the exact opposite of this SSH command that uh, tries to remove some of the manual steps in sort of copying up files, running commands, bringing back changes. Secure Shellfish tries to do tries to simplify from the other direction. So instead of making your local files, uh, instead of putting these on your server, it takes your remote server files and makes it appear as if they are local on your iPad, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a developer myself, so I, I try to uh, visualize kind of what needs 
that community has that I personally don't don't. Is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to before we wrap it up? Um, so so one thing is if if any of your listeners are uh, using my apps and think why doesn't it do X or Y, then they should uh, they should email me and they should tell me and I I can build everything and maybe I don't think it's a good idea, but many of the cool features of Secure Shellfish and Working Copy are based on user requests because I'm I'm one person and I maybe have I have a few good ideas but <laughs> most of my good ideas are from the outside and there's no one except the users uh, that can sort of feed me that so please email me about that excellent and where can people find more information about your apps and your email addresses probably be on that website as well yeah exactly so so uh, the websites the website for working copy is workingcopy.app and the other one is secure shellfish.app without without uh, dashes or hyphens or stuff yeah uh, and there's an email there and links to twitter and yeah sounds good well thank you so much for your time today and it's been fascinating learning about all these updates and what you've been up to this past year yeah thank you for thank you for having me well, that was my interview with Anders all about working copy and secure shellfish. My thanks to Anders for his time recording this interview. And my thanks to you for tuning in to, and listening to iPad Pros. There's a lot of great content coming up this year, and I'm excited to dive into all the updates that Apple has in store for us as we get to see what those are in 2021. Thanks again for listening to iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can support the podcast over at Patreon.com slash iPadPros. I'll talk to everyone again real soon.